back. James Harden right on target. Bang, bang, George Niang to Paul Reed from Tyrese Maxey. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the PickSwap Media YouTube channel. I'm here with a little something different today. I want to do a little bit of a, a look back on kind of the this rookie class. And to do that, I could have nobody better but Chuck, who of you guys, of course, know from the Chucking Darts podcast, the uh, Chucking Cards, Chucking Darts NBA Draft, NBA and Draft podcast. Excuse me, but Chuck, appreciate you for coming on. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing wonderful, Sean. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's very gracious of you to extend the invite. And uh, this topic is so exciting. I love talking about this, these rookies and this rookie class. There's so many, uh, not only just different kinds of guys performing well, which is great, but uh, it to me, they've allowed me to think about team building in lots of unique ways. Because the book on this class, at least to me, was how many different kinds of wing-sized players uh, that are that were in it. It was sort of a um, culmination a little bit of all of the wings that have been coming into the league for the last 10 years. And now you got this class with a bunch of different kinds of them mm -hmm. who all have a lot of different sorts of strengths. And so it made you think, or it's made me think very hard about how you want to build a team, what sort of wings you want where. And I, for that reason, I've, I've had a blast watching them. Can't wait to talk about them. How are you? Yeah. I'm great. I'm great. I'm happy to be joined by you. And uh, kind of to touch on that, one of the things that I'm, I'm interested to touch on with each kind of guys is how much it matters, like the situation each of these players come into. And kind of like, I think there's a very different kind of guys getting opposite ends of the spectrum, whether it's rebuilding a contending team, everything in between, which is always natural. But I feel like for a lot of these guys this year specifically, I feel like it has kind of impacted them a little differently. So I'm excited to get into it and to, to kick things off as a whole. I kind of started down this path, uh, A, because uh, getting a little tired of talking about the Sixers compared to how they've been doing right now. And uh, B, I kind of had a take on Twitter saying that I thought that I think that this draft class, when things are all said and done, will go down as one of the, the deepest and most complete as far as just niche players and going down. So to kick it off, do you, would you agree with that or what do you think on that that uh, that line? I think that that is uh, correct, number one. And I think it is like a safer bet than it seems, number two. Like, I think people will hear that and they'll say, man, that's like a a, a dart, as I would say on my show, but like a, like a real bold take. But I think what you are seeing is that the, there's so much talent now and so many talented uh, athletes are choosing hoops, like mm -hmm. at, a, at a rate probably greater than it's been in the past that um as you go class over class over class you've got a lot of players who are physically so gifted and a lot of players who now have grown up in the last 10 years where efficiency has really become um a popular thing to drill and teach younger players mm -hmm. and so they're coming in more polished and more talented more athletic at younger ages than they generally have previously and i think this class is no exception so yeah yeah definitely i think that's a great point and uh we'll kick it right off starting at the top with number one overall pick palo bancaro uh he's impressed early on with the magic guy friendly in the rookie of the year running through 19 games averaging 21.8 points 6.7 rebounds 3.7 assists uh 44.6 percent from the field and 23.9 percent from three what are your early impressions of palo and how have you how has he lived up to your expectations 
Uh, he has surpassed my expectations is the, the short version uh, because he has looked and moved better athletically than I thought he was going to. I, I am probably, I mean, among analysts, uh, to call myself an analyst, among the lowest on Paolo, and I still really liked him. I had him fourth and in a top tier of four, you know, top, you know, I had Jabari, Chet, Ivy, and Paolo. Um, but one of the reasons I was a, like a little, well, why I put it, put him at four in that tier was because he was just very bulky at Duke and he had trouble getting by people if he didn't have uh, the defense in rotation when the ball came to him. If, if someone was closing out, he could get by him. But if it was just from a standstill, uh, he had some trouble, more trouble than I would have liked to have seen from him. And he prefers to operate in the mid-range, which is not the most efficient area of the floor to operate in. But now he looks like he's in better shape. Uh, he's attacking the rim with this increased space a little bit more, and he is taking advantage of what I think is some pretty good play calling uh, on the part of the Magic to get him downhill. I still think he struggles a bit when they want him to sort of bail them out or if they want him to run a pick and roll and have the offense really start with him. But if as a uh, second side guy, as uh, someone who can capitalize on – what the offense has started, I think he's impressed a lot, particularly in his ability to uh, to draw free throws. Yeah, that's that was my biggest point, is the way he's attacking the rim is the biggest thing that's jumped off the page. 8.7 free throw attempts per game for a rookie is pretty absurd numbers. And my biggest concern with Paolo was that kind of, as you mentioned, that reliance on the mid-range and kind of just taking tough shots. I think that's going to be something that he grows through in his game. I think these percentages will both get cleaned up as he progresses through his career. And it's also just fascinating, like what the magic are doing down there with the positionless basketball and how all those pieces are going to kind of fit together. I'm a huge Franz Wagner guy as well. I mm -hmm. think he's terrific. The resurgence of bowl bowl has been something to watch this year. Very crazy. So I'm curious how this all kind of comes together, but I think Paolo has certainly done enough to consider himself kind of the centerpiece of the identity for what they're doing. And uh, it is just that complete game. I haven't seen as much playmaking as, as I was kind of hoping to, but I also think that's a little bit of a product of just the magic kind of system and everything that's going on, but a ton to really like there. And I think this guy's ceiling is up there as a, a true star in this league. Um, So yes, I'll say that his ceiling is there as a star, but like, what do you consider a star? Do you consider a star someone who makes like multiple all-star games? Like, cause I, I think of a like stars as kind of like second team, all NBA, maybe, okay. maybe just all NBA, but like really you want to, you want to get into that top 10 player discussion. Sure. Um, where do you think he, do you think he has a shot at that? Yeah, I, th I would put him, I think he can get in like the Paul George kind of range is kind of where I put him, which isn't, I wouldn't say like the the top, top of the league, but that's still like a, a guy I think you can build a team around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to dive into that a little bit more, but if you have other guys you want to get to first and loop back to Paolo, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool to do that.
we'll go through the the top first. Let's touch on Chet real quick. Obviously, unfortunate the the foot injury. Give me a little bit on kind of your outlook on Chet. Personally, I'm a big Chet Holmgren guy. I think th- this was the guy I had number one on my list uh, going back to the draft. Very unfortunate, but I do also think it could be a little bit of a, a blessing in disguise for him to have a year to work on his body and the Thunder is still try- obviously trying to tank. So what's your outlook on Chet? Uh, very positive. Uh, I had Chet, like I said, number two on my board. And I think that uh, Oklahoma City is a really wonderful context for him, really wonderful fit. If you've watched them this year, they've built on something they'd really been starting the last couple of years where they have a better defense than you think. And now it's, it's showing cause they are a sub 500 team, but like competitive night in and night out. Yeah. And no one on their team is really like a standout defender in their own right. They have guys who execute, they're sort of no middle scheme and they make defenders. who I think would look not so great in other systems, look average and average guys look like legitimately good, but they don't have like a defensive stud and they're still very young, but Chet for what he can do best on defense is a stud, which is to uh, help out frequently on the weak side. um, As long as he's not the guy really defending the ball and alter shots, erase stuff at the rim, uh, react without fouling, uh, and really alter just a ton with all of his length and all of his smarts. And uh, on offense, like, Chet can really, really, really shoot. And I think that's probably something that, for all of the uh, hand-wringing that went on about his frame and, you know, is he going to hold up? And then, unfortunately, he gets hurt in the summer and, so he has to deal with that whole cycle. Um, when you're taken at the top of a draft in the top few picks, uh, you need to have a theory as to how you can be a dominant offensive player. Because that you look at any star, name me a star, whether it's Paul George or Jimmy Butler or anyone, anyone in the NBA who isn't Draymond Green, um, they are stars first and foremost because of how well they play offense. And so with Chet, his theory is that he has this incredible touch uh, from 15 feet and in that he can extend out to three, not as necessarily like a high volume three point shooter, because he's not like the twitchiest guy in terms of a quick release. But you you can run a bunch of stuff with him where he gets the ball um, with a little bit of space, maybe even shooting off movement, which he saw, which he showed flashes of at Gonzaga. And you can you can see a way where he could average probably, you know, 18 to 20 a game, maybe like at his peak if he's really scoring the ball. And if you're doing that and you're providing all defense level defense or something close to it, if you're in the right scheme, you know, that's a it's a max player. It's someone really, really good. And I think that a lot, not all of it. I think there would have been a learning curve on defense as he adjusts to the speed of the game and the athletes in the NBA. It wouldn't all have translated right away, but you would have seen him contribute to like a sneaky good team um, pretty quick. And his shot, I think, would have caught on pretty quick. And you combine those two things, you're going to have like two-way impact for a, a, a team surpassing expectations. Uh, and I think that would have led him to be 
rookie of the year if he were healthy. Paolo is definitely leading that charge right now, but he is doing it in the more traditional way that rookies of the year do it, which is accumulate stats, but also accumulate a lot of losses. Um, I think Chet would have worked the balance a little bit better and would have sort of won voters over over the course of the season. Yeah, yeah. You touched on a lot that I like there. And for the defense specifically, I really do think he's like a potential defensive player of the year level player. I think when he puts the pieces together, because we think about a player like Rudy Gobert, who has become kind of the poster boy for defensive player of the year. Chet has like that kind of frame. And I think he can defend on the perimeter much better than Gobert can. And one of the things that was a, a misconception of mine kind of, watching it or at least my expectation going in as from watching the hype from high school and everything like Chet is no softy. He's a guy that is going to compete every night. And one of the things that also impressed me is people attack his chest constantly because of his frame. And obviously they think he's little and he does a great job of like swallowing that up by just using his arms and does a pretty good job not fouling there. He still gets caught at times, but I was very impressed with the way he's kind of able to like use guys going at him in a way to his advantage. And as you touched on the offense, the pick and pop potential is something that's great. And I think he plays like a winning brand of basketball. I think uh, the Thunder might sneakily be happy that he's not helping them contend this year because that team is already, I think, a little bit too good to be tanking. And uh, especially with the SGA has been playing and everything else. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see when he comes back to this court. And uh, to obviously Joel Embiid started at a, a much higher uh, floor for this but he benefited so much from the two years off and purely focusing on his body and putting the the pieces together. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of taking a, a similar approach to take this year to do whatever is needed to put on weight, put on muscle and be ready for this NBA grind is going to be a great thing for him in the long run. But I cannot wait till he's back on the floor. Yeah. And I think uh, another aspect to uh, his sort of feistiness and how he, he likes physicality is you mentioned the guys like to go at his chest. I think that it, it suckers defenses in like, this is a much different uh, or pardon me, suckers offenses in this is obviously James Harden is a much different player than Chet, but when he was in his switch defenses in Houston, uh, one of the reasons those defenses were effective is that they go, Oh, well, James Harden is a bad defender. That was their perception. So let me go at him. Let me halt what I normally do on offense so that I can isolate at Harden and pick at that that supposed advantage of a matchup. But Harden is a stout wing-sized defender, and if you just try to go around him or through him, he could hold up. At least he could for you know a few years there. And I think that Chet obviously built much, much different, but it's the same way. Like There are just not many guys in the NBA who are like great at posting up. And mm-hmm. so to decide that an offensive possession is going to be a post up against Chet because you just think he's paper thin and you're just going to cut right through him when you don't have the technique or the footwork or the counters uh, to really get to your angle and get to a shot, you know, that you can hit. It's just a fool's errand. Um, I actually think that, I don't know that I'm with you on how good he is on the perimeter. I think that sometimes, um, you know, his feet can look pretty slow. And I think that's a function of him not reaching his athletic prime yet. We'll see where he ends up, but uh, for what he would be used for, you know, I I think that he's, is going to be very good for sure. Yeah. 
yeah, I can't wait to see him back on the court. It is very disappointing for him to miss this year, but uh, definitely one we will revisit. To uh, to shift gears to somebody that is on the court this year, somebody that has disappointed a little more than I think most have expected is Jabari Smith. And uh, obviously a tough kind of situation. I think he's been thrown in with Houston with just all the young guys there. Uh, a lot of just kind of every night it feels a little different how that team looks with Jalen Green and everything else going on. What's been your perception of Jabari so far this year? Oh, man, how much time do you have? So <laughs> – um, my perception, I did an episode, uh, a couple weeks ago before Jabari's play started to increase because his last 10 games, his shot has come up a lot, but, um, where we were talking about Jabari and Paolo, my guest, Mike Gribben off of myself and the, we both preferred Jabari to Paolo at draft times who we were coming at it from a similar angle. And our, uh, conclusion about Jabari is that when you, uh, doesn't really matter who your guards are. It could be Luka Doncic or it can be Kevin Porter Jr. When you enter the NBA and you rely on hitting jumpers, which is what Jabari's game is right now, yeah. um, that, that you are going to be relying on someone else to basically give you your timing. When you operate off the dribble like Paola does, one of the advantages to doing that is you get the shot that more or less you dictate, even if it's, it's well defended and it's a tough angle and you're forced into it, your body sort of rhythmically knows when it's going to shoot and everything like that. But if you are relying on someone else and you are catch and shooting because um, the ball just got to you and you have to read a closeout from an NBA athlete and you haven't had that happen to you before, I think it messes up timing more than at least I had given it credit for more than I sort of comprehended for new guys in the league. And if you look at other players who I believe are kind of similar uh, to Jabari in terms of not being the most uh, explosive athletes coming out, but having shooting talent, the ones I think I brought up on the podcast were maybe Brandon Ingram, Laurie Markinen. These were also guys who were not really known as setting the world on fire early in their careers and then have have exhibited sort of jumps as they have found offenses that suit them and as they have reached their sort of physical prime. Um, I think that that might happen with Jabari, but I, I do have to say that the more drastic change, apart from, you know, the not necessarily his shot now going in, is that I think his defense has cleaned up notably the last 10 games. And I think his uh, timing on that end has really improved. I, you know, I listened to a podcast. It was it's not some like niche podcast. It was the low post. Jonathan Gavoni was on it this week and he was talking about Jabari in pretty um, like negative terms saying, you know, this guy's not an athlete. And that's one of the reasons why he shouldn't have really been considered for number one. Um, but Jabari can switch on defense. He's very competitive. He can contest at the rim. He can rebound in traffic. Um, and guys at 6'10", 6'11", who can do that as 19-year-olds, like passably in the NBA, they just don't come along very often. And the guys I mentioned before, Ingram and, and Markinen, they could not do that early in their careers. So the fact that Jabari can, I think, is extremely encouraging. And uh, if his shot keeps going down and his timing improves, and now you know he's at, 
I guess, 36% from three on the season, even with this horrible start. I think he's at like 42% his last 10 games. If that sort of normalizes for him and he's shooting high 30s as a a 19-year-old rookie, like a true blue 19-year-old rookie, and he's providing solid defense as a 19-year-old rookie, um, I'm going to be even higher on him than I was coming into the season, which was quite high. So like a mixed bag, really, really bad to start, but I think he is cleaning it up. What, What do you think? Yeah, so I'll start out with I was not as high on Jabari going into it. I actually had him at four on my mm-hmm. uh, top rankings. I had a I, for mine. I had Chet, Paolo, uh, Ben, Matherin, and then Jabari at four were my top four going in. Ben, so, I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I want to get into Ben in a little too. But uh, uh, for Jabari specifically, what kind of held me back on it is he. I mean, obviously he's a six ten kind of spot up shooter, which is a great thing when you connect at the efficient rate, which he showed to at Auburn. I do think there's this the game against Miami uh, in the tournament when he just didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still just sticks in my head more than it probably should. And it did all the way up until draft because that was one where I was just very excited to see him and it, it just didn't happen. But I guess what really holds me back is I just don't see the the ceiling necessarily as high because I don't see him ever kind of adding that off the dribble game. I think he's going to be a, uh, a six foot ten spot up shooter, which is a great thing. But it's also a like a a kind of a niche thing like the the comp that I kind of gave and uh this guy's had a quite the career so kind of parts of his career is Chris Stapps Porzingis a guy at his best Chris Stapps when he's connecting from three and doing things on the defense mainly like Nick's version of Chris Stapps is kind of the route I saw for Jabari uh I I I think he's going to be absolutely fine in the long term but I don't ever consider him that kind of like building block piece which he doesn't necessarily have to be in Houston because of all the talent I, I was actually kind of happy how the draft shook out that Paolo went one to the Magic and mm-hmm. uh, Jabari slipped to uh, Houston. I think that's a much better spot for him than it would have been if he did go to Orlando. So I'm happy that's the way it shook out. But I don't know. I, I still like Jabari. I think the defense is going to be somewhat of the the make or break as well as the shot. But uh, defensively, if he can be that kind of guy and like a, a number one kind of anchor guy defensively, there's absolutely like a key starting and significant starting role on him for this team, a pretty high level player. But I just don't see like that superstar potential that I would like to of a player of that kind of draft stock. OK, so I will I'll give you a little counter here. And again, we can we can move on your show. Don't want don't <laughs> want to bog, like don't it. bog it down. <laughs> um, I one of the reasons why I had Jabari at one was because what he the best part of his game his shooting i thought was going to eventually be a truly elite level in the nba relative to his peers Mm -hmm. because again you go back and you look guys as big as him who shot as well as him as a freshman on that kind of usage it's a very very short list yeah um and actually, I mean, there was really no one quite as young as him on his volume and usage. Markinen was close, but it, it, it's very, very rare. And he's a better athlete than than Larry. Yeah. Um, when you compare him to Paolo, Paolo, my whole question with Paolo, to me, I don't see him ever being a true like standout defender because I still don't think he moves quite well enough for that. I think that. Um, he's going to have a lot of trouble getting over screens that I think Jabari can fight through a little bit more because he's a little lither and moves better laterally. And if you can't get over screens and you can't really play center, and I don't think Paolo really has the defensive chops to to play small five, um, 
then you can put your team in its fair share of binds on defense. And so to compensate for that, I just think that the bar is so, so high for guys whose games operate off the dribble because the best players in the world at that are so supremely good and have such good touch and, you know, or in some cases are such nuclear athletes. And I just, I think that Paolo is probably like, he would get like a B plus from me in a lot of different areas of being an on-ball creator, which is really good, you know, B plus, A minus, but nothing that struck me as truly, truly elite. Now, if this free throw uh, attraction of his, mm-hmm. if that sticks and he be, he really sticks as one of the best players in the league at drawing fouls, then he gives himself a much better chance. But you look at, you know, I mean, LeBron, LeBron will age out, but just the guys who are offensive engines, Zion, Tatum, Giannis, Embiid, Luka, uh, you know, Booker to an extent. I mean, they're just so athletic and such brilliant shooters and scorers. And I just don't know if Paolo has the the shooting touch or really the athletic level to be in their company. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't make all-star games or yeah. he doesn't get paid and he isn't, you know, quite good in playing in the playoffs, but I think that low key operates as a ceiling capper on your team if your best guy off of the dribble um is only the 14th best player in the league to just pick a number out of thin air, which I think would be a great outcome for Paolo. Yeah. Contrasted with Jabari, he's going to need someone off the dribble who is really, really good. Right. But I expect him to be so good at those supplementary things and to be someone who scores 20 plus a night anyway at in really efficient ways that his team is going to benefit from it more. It's just like I'd rather have the elite number two than the like merely good number one. I just think that leads to more winning basketball. That that's sort of where I I come from on it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I guess my my kind of uh, perspective on it is I still think like getting like uh, a guy like Paolo who can will take you off the dribble and go to the basket and kind of collapse a defense. To me, that still brings a lot of value and something that I I think I like pretty significantly. I like when guys are able to change a picture to to force the defense to kind of make decisions or make changes. And that's something that I, I haven't seen with Jabari for both these guys. I think it's, I mean, and as is basketball for all these guys, but you, they have to be paired right and have to have the right supplementary pieces, complementary pieces. So it's going to be interesting to see how these guys shape out. I both think, I think both of them are, are fine prospects in the long haul. So it will be interesting to see kind of how their stories navigate. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's shift gears a little bit and move to uh, Keegan Murray here, who, I think he's an interesting guy to talk about. The Kings have been playing some really fun basketball this year. Keegan mm-hmm. looked absolutely unreal in summer league and leading up to it. I still think he's been solid, but I don't think necessarily the as much as I, I think many were hoping based off that summer league and everything. But what's your perception of Murray as of going into this year and how he's performed so far? Uh, my perception of him going into the year was that he was he was going to be asked to fulfill a role in Sacramento. And I, I think he had a good chance to like be a starter there pretty quickly because of his shot. Uh, Cause that to me was his best tool by far. Um, and his ability to get his shot up and off. Uh, and I think that largely is, is what has happened. And I think, you know, Sacramento's an awesome team, yeah. uh, but you look at how it's composed 
Sabonis does a lot of uh, directing traffic and initiating in his own way, you know, from the elbow or from the post. Uh, and you have all these guys who can play off the dribble in spurts. You know, Fox obviously can do it at higher volume, but Herter and Monk can do it too. Davion Mitchell when he comes in. And uh, there just isn't a whole lot left for Keegan to improvise. And because the Kings want to win, they want Keegan to do what he does the best. They don't really want him experimenting. Yeah. So it turns him into a a shooter, more or less, who is going to you know compete and communicate on defense. And I think he can do that stuff all right. I don't think that he is um, physically uh, overwhelming enough to really be one of the best in the league at it. But I think they they want him to be a solid starter for a long time. And I think that he has that capability. So it's just a question of, was it the right move at four? Is that, you know, yeah. In the draft, you tend to get hurt more by passing on great players than taking, you know, just merely good ones. So we'll see how it works. We'll see yeah. how it works. What do you think? Uh, the Kings have surprised me all around this year. And I guess uh, the biggest thing specifically to Murray that surprised me is kind of what you alluded to. There's just not that much room for him to do. Sabonis has been incredibly high usage this year. De'Aaron Fox has looked very good. Uh, Kevin Herter shooting the lights out of the ball. There's just been like uh, the team's been all around better and just kind of more more ready to win now than I kind of anticipated. I thought there was going to be a little bit of room for Murray to kind of try and do his thing because he was that like Mr. Everything at Iowa and had a chance to kind of be experimental there. and. Now, granted, this is the NBA, so this happens with everybody that they get their their roles cut back. But mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that he doesn't quite have like a defining NBA skill at this point. I don't think like I think he's very good at a lot of things. I don't necessarily see him as a niche in something. And I think that's something that he's kind of working through. But he's still a fine player and a guy that I think is going to fill the role quite fine. Uh, I'm curious to see like long term how exactly that fits in and uh but oh, another thing i wanted to toss out is just his brother chris murray if you have any early thoughts on him as well oh i i loved chris last year i thought chris should have been drafted last year and i thought if a team loved keegan um that they should have just promised chris in the second round because he would have been yeah. available in the second round and it would have been a good way to help both of them adjust to the nba and if you believe they were both nba players it was a way to have like a really good draft um mm -hmm. So I, I think Keegan was the better prospect, but I also think that Chris is, you know, Chris is six, eight and long and can shoot. And I, I think that he is athletic enough to at least remain in the league. So I, at that point that, you know, that's an NBA player and certainly yeah. one who I think a team could have promised in the second round, if they were going to give like a second round guarantee and a guaranteed contract to, uh, but one more point on the lack of experimentation. I think that uh, Sacramento is still a really good fit for him because Keegan was not to me. I mean, he was an incredible transition player at Iowa, but in the half court off the dribble, uh, he was not super special. You know, he would struggle to get by guys off the bounce, both because um he isn't the most insane, you know, first step athlete and because his handle wasn't that advanced, but in Sacramento, they encourage all of this off ball movement and getting around all these, you know, little exit screens or DHOs 
Uh, they have multiple guys who can relocate and screen for others if any defender is dipping and trying to protect the paint. Uh, and Keegan can operate as a screener and as someone who could pop out or cut to the basket in like a bunch of different actions. So I think that they are going to get him easy shots and it's a good system to develop in. Uh, if you contrast that to Jabari, that offense in Houston is not nearly as elegant as what's going on in Sacramento. So he finds himself standing on the perimeter rather than moving and relocating uh, in a more organic way. Yeah, yeah, no, that all makes sense. And shout out the Kings for turning things around this year and being as fun to watch as they have been. Uh, shift gears to a guy who I think has seen more thrown on his plate than I think was initially expected, obviously with the Kate Cunningham injury and that moving forward. What are your early impressions of Jaden Ivey so far this year? Uh, about what I expected. I, okay. you know, I'm not to, I didn't expect Kate to get hurt obviously, but like, um, Ivy, Ivy, I think the appeal, first of all, where did you have him? Did you have him fifth? I had him fifth. Yeah. Fifth. Okay. The appeal to him was very like simple, simple and effective. And that I thought he was the best athlete in the draft with uh, the ball in his hands. And if you look back at past drafts, if the, the person who was the best athlete in the class off the dribble tends to be a really good NBA player. You know, it's a pretty bust proof, not only bust proof, but like good player guarantee kind of pick mm. or kind of profile. And I think you see that with him a lot. I mean, his first step is lightning and he can force transition very easily and he can get up and finish. And he has over the past year, uh, worked on his deceleration uh, a lot in the lane. And his deceleration is like, it. he doesn't disguise it. Like when he decelerates, you can tell he's like, I'm going to slow down right now. But it's still effective because he's so athletic. And like, he isn't to me anything close to a finished product or a complete player because uh, his handle was loose at Purdue. He wasn't really the point guard there. Uh, his passing reads can be sort of an adventure, but his uh, athleticism is going to make his passing windows so wide that I think as he goes on, you're going to see him. He's at like an inefficient 15 and a half, four and a half and four. I think you will see a year over year, like notable increase so that by the time he's in like year three, he's really, really good because, you know, his athleticism means he's going to get a lot of fouls, a lot of trips to the line. Uh, and once Kate is healthy and they really work on their chemistry, he'll have plenty of open threes too, because teams are going to be so terrified of him uh, driving. But what do you think about him? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see more of him and Cade. That's my biggest thing is I, I want to see what that duo really looks like more together because I think it could work. Uh, I like Ivy kind of what you said, like it's very foolproof a guy of that physicality, of that just athleticism. And he's very fun to watch. Uh, the efficiency is going to come. He got so many like John Morant comparisons leading up, which is just unfair to throw on somebody because John Morant is just like uh, a, an unreal level, even athletically, even compared to Ivy, who I think is in the conversation, but it's just tough to throw that on anyone. Right. Uh, right. I think it's going to be a like, like you said, year by year, he's one of the more raw guys. We saw from his freshman to sophomore year, uh, his three-point percentage go from like 25% to a little bit above 35%. And that was really when the, he took that that climb up draft boards and NBA outlook as a shooter. Uh, that's going to be a work in progress. I'm still not 100% sold on the shot, but I think 
the shot is one, something that for every player improves as they go through their NBA trajectory. So that's not like a major red flag. And he's shooting it willingly and connecting it enough of a rate that I don't think it's a concern. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit good for him in the long haul to have this like so much on ball time and just be mm -hmm. able to, to play through things. But I am just very excited to see what like a Cade and Ivy duo really does look like because I think it could work. I do too. And I think, uh, you know, Russ is probably the example of someone who leaned into the three point revolution probably too far because it, the threes were never what he did right. the best. Uh, I think that Ivy, Ivy will have all the threes that he wants again, because teams are going to be res respecting his drives, but I do, I trust his feel a little bit more on figuring out the right shot diet for himself, um, even than Russ. And that's not to say he's going to be as good a player as Russ, but I think that uh, I don't really worry about the three not going in. I think he will figure out what works out best for him and hit it very hard. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, so if we'll see. He's going to have plenty of opportunity this year. So let's see what he develops into. It's going to be fun mm -hmm. to watch. The next guy that I'm excited to talk about is Benedict Matherin, who has been my guy leading up to it. I love them at Arizona. I love that Arizona team. Uh, and he's just exceeded even my expectations. So 18.1 points per game, 3.9 rebounds, 1.5 assists, shooting 41.2% from the field, 36.8% from three. What do you think about Matherin so far this year? What do you think about him? He's your guy. You kick us <laughs> off, man. I, I love him. So like I said, uh, I had him even above Jabari. I had him as my number three going into the year. The thing that I was so high about him on is I felt like he was such a high ceiling in like a, in this modern NBA where, as you, as you mentioned at the beginning, wings are so important. Like to me, he's such like a foolproof. Like this guy is a guy that can shoot it. He can handle. He can do a little bit of everything. I think he's elite as a shot maker. I think he has as much potential as kind of that Bradley Beal style player is. I think his ceiling and – uh, that's obviously high praise, but I do think he can get there. And defensively, like, I think he's fine. I think he's never going to be like a, a lockdown guy, but a guy that can hold up against like an opposing team uh, up there with the top like perimeter creators, which is important. Uh, he competes. I like him a lot and he's exceeded even my early expectations so far at Indiana. Yeah. I think in a draft of uh, really good competitors, sort of badass guys who play really, really hard, at the top of this class, you know, that sort of consensus top four, however you had it, um, not you specifically, because you had Matherin third, uh, but Ivy, Jabari, Paolo, Chet, all really competitive, all play very hard. Um, mm -hmm. I think that Matherin, <clears throat> he might be the most competitive out of all of those guys, yeah. which is saying a lot. Yeah. And I think um, I liked him. I think I had him like eighth. Um, I had some concern about the handle uh, coming along, but Indiana has shown this very uh, well, well executed, well conceived plan for how to use him where they, you know, working with Halliburton is going to get you good looks anyway, not just to yeah. shoot, but to drive. But they also work a lot of actions in for Matherin, scripting stuff for him, you know, which is different than what's happening for like Keegan or Jabari, for example, um, where they get him with a head of steam on some pick, usually inside the arc where he knows his read is going to be, you know, get to the rim and finish. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what he has been so good at doing. And he seeks out contact. He dishes out contact. Um, and he can really shoot. I mean, having the 
uh, ability to hit shots as a 20 year old that he can shoot these movement threes and standstill threes and also dish out physical punishment is again, it's a draft profile that is rarer than you would think. And as far as his improvement goes, um, the real sort of notable improvements that, that a lot of players make the types of players that make them first of all, have really good work ethic, but usually come in the guys who are the most athletic because athleticism buys you so much extra little time on the court, whether it's a handle or whether it's executing passes because your windows are wider or uh, finishing because you hang in the air for longer and you can adjust that way. Like, Athleticism leads to improvement as long as you have everything else in your in your lane. And uh, Matherin has all that. He's just very strong through his wrists and his hands uh, and obviously knows how to you know get up and finish with the best of them and already has a, a knack for drawing contact. So yeah, like I what would you say is his you said he, you thought Bradley Beal, that's sort of a, a path was available to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A Bradley Beal, Devin Booker kind of uh, mold, which is a high praise, but I really do think he can get up there. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. He's a little, um, he's a little different than maybe he's closer to Beal than Booker, in my opinion, just because of how much he likes to get into the lane. You know, Booker's just sudden up such a pure natural shooter, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. I I want to see where it goes for him because like the it is very abnormal for a, a kid to be averaging, you know, 18 and four and getting all these free throws at six, five. Like it's yeah. very, very rare. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think he landed in just about an ideal spot playing next to Halliburton has been terrific for him. And another thing that like gets me really excited about Matherin is the damage that he does off the ball and moving, just being active creating looks and some of this is indiana's play style and everything that they they run for him but his uh, ability and willingness to just kind of buzz around make something happen and create a shot without ever touching the ball is something that uh is very rare for a player this young and uh he's sky high super confident in himself which is something i love he called himself the best player in in the planet uh at arizona which was something that (laughs) i love seeing as well so i'm all about him i love this kid i'm happy he's succeeding as much as he has already uh, and yeah, that's that's about it I have for kind of the the top guys in this class. I wanted to get a little bit deeper as far as some guys outside of things that have jumped out. I'll kick it off with one real quick, which is his teammate in Andrew Nemhart, a guy that has also shocked me. Gonzaga guy or two years at Florida, two years at Gonzaga, I think it was uh, very mature uh, in the same Indiana system. What are your thoughts on Nemhart? Uh, pleasantly surprised. Uh, it's an L I will gladly take because I didn't, um, I didn't take Nemhart seriously because I mean, this is going to be silly. I probably shouldn't admit this, but I just didn't realize that he was like a legit six, five and that he could operate off the dribble at a, at a legit six, five. I thought he was in that sort of six, three range where, you know, you get a lot of backup point guards who can carve out productive careers by mm-hmm. like winning their minutes, you know, Monty Morris, Tyus Jones, uh, Jose Alvarado, he's shorter than six, three, but that kind of player. Um, but I didn't realize that Nemhard had legit lead guard size at the very least. And if you can operate off the dribble and you know how to really run a pick and roll at six foot five and you can defend, then, um, there's going to be a place for you. 
And yeah. Carlisle has had such a uh, history of success with multiple guard lineups mm -hmm. that you can see why the Pacers targeted him and liked him. And you can see how intentional they've been with integrating him where they would, they, you know, the temptation would be to say, you're going to come off the bench and you're going to try to find your place on a second unit, but they have TJ McConnell who's a good backup guard in his own right. And they knew that playing with Halliburton is good for just about everyone on offense because his decision-making is so, so good. So they said the healthiest thing for all of our young guys is to try to get court time with Halliburton. And they've been very strategic in making sure that Matherin spends a lot of time with them and that Nemhard spends a lot of time with them. And uh, I think that you saw, you know, his huge game that he had against the Warriors where Halliburton's hurt and he takes over like the confidence that he had in running pick and roll by that time was just exceptional. Yeah. Uh, and his, you know, his, he has sort of herky jerky dribbles and he relies on timing. He makes sure to keep his handle alive. Um, now, do I think that he's going to have like a steep incline as a player? Maybe not. You know, he has sort of a, an unathletic looking jumper. He releases it kind of low and it's going to be more, I think of a catch and shoot shot for him. But uh, as someone who can be an extra ball handler on the floor and find find ways to produce good offense and compete on defense by fighting over screens and using length, like a huge steal, complete steal. Yeah. What what do you what do you think about him? Yeah, he wasn't a guy I was like particularly high on, but I thought he was a guy that like I was confident he would find a niche as a backup point guard in this league. I think there's a little more to him than that. Kind of mm -hmm. what you indicated on. Uh, playing with different units. He's just more versatile than I gave him credit. Very smart player, very high IQ, uh, how he can read a game, how he keeps his handle alive, and and just more to his kind of creation ability with the way he can uh, has a little bit of a handle. He's got some like herky-jerkiness to him that I, I, I like and am finding myself liking. So uh, again, I think Indiana, I'm very uh, excited watching this team and what they have going on with the, the way that they're building it. Uh, this uh, guard-heavy roster that they they have all these players that are super fun. Rick Carlisle has done an absolutely terrific job. So I'm excited to see how this plays out. But I do think he's a guy who has a place in this league for a long time. Not necessarily as uh, maybe maybe a low-end starter, uh, maybe a, a key bench player, but something that for a second-round pick is absolutely a steal, and he's impressed me for sure. Are there uh, any any players that particularly have surprised you so far this year? Yeah. Uh... Like real rookie surprises. I, I think that, uh, you know, I liked Jalen Williams coming in. I, you know, I had him as a top 20 pick by the time the draft rolled around. I think I had him 17. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that he has looks like he can start as a rookie, that surprised me. I didn't see that like coming that quickly. Uh, and he is, you know, a lot of the positives that I saw are like what has carried him. So it's not as though there was anything in his game that really stunned me, but uh, I think his defense has been the game, the, the part of his game that has been the most pleasant surprise and how well he moves off the ball. Cause Santa Clara, he was on the ball all the time right. as their initiator. And he is such a good cutter and just reads the game so well that I think he makes up for a lack of, like a truly elite burst as a, as a player. 
I think he's just sort of average in that department. But if you if you read the game and you can make yourself available on offense and and run yourself open by being a step ahead, uh, then you can compensate. And I think that he is doing that. Uh, love his touch. I think his touch is incredible. He probably relies on it a little bit too much because he can't create looks at the rim for himself very frequently. But uh, a, a a very good shooter. Some that will keep him on the floor. Really good touch passer uh, and competitive defender with all that length. So he has been better than I anticipated him being. Yeah, that's one that I have to wear the L on. Is uh, I was not a, a Jalen Williams guy going in. They were he was linked pretty heavily to the Sixers leading up to the draft, and I was mm-hmm. against it for a lot of the reasons you touched on. Going at Santa Clara, I was worried he was too high usage there. That that's not going to be his NBA role. That he was going to have more of an off ball. I was concerned he wouldn't be able to to cut like that. Uh, and he's proven me wrong very early. So I'm happy to see he has that in his game. Uh, good to see from him. Uh, he's very, he, he, he looks like a good player. Uh, and the other Jalen Williams on the Thunder is a guy that has disappointed me a little bit. Hasn't gotten much opportunity, so I don't want to call it a disappointment. But uh, coming out of Arkansas, I was very high on him and think that he, I still think he's going to be a, a player. So I'm excited to see them. Uh, Thunder are just chock loaded with young talent. Uh, AJ Griffin, a guy uh, coming out of Duke, obviously a, a pretty top pick and a, and a guy that was projected pretty highly as well he's exceeded my early expectations just from filling a role on that team hitting some big shots playing some big moments and uh just doing his thing so looking at his stats 9.6 points 2.0 rebounds 1.1 steal shooting 45 percent from the field 35.5 percent from three what do you think of aj griffin so far i uh, love him mm-hmm. love aj i had aj was my uh he was my number five in okay. uh, on my board and i uh for a lot of the same reasons as Jabari. I thought that, you know, AJ was such a good shooter and had such good touch. And even though his athleticism didn't really seem like it was on point at Duke, he still got his threes off a lot um, and got them off deep and he could shoot them off the dribble that I thought if he is, you know, if he is athletic enough to start in the NBA, then he could be such a dangerous scorer of the ball that that's another guy who I think could average over 20. Now I didn't expect it to come again for it to hit this quickly. And it's, it's not like he's setting the world on fire, but he's showing enough. I mean, he had 24 against the nuggets last week and he is now starting for that team. And that's not a team that's trying to tank. They're trying to find the best five and the best players to play around Trey young. And they've settled on a 19 year old kid to do it, uh, I, I think that he is a, a fascinating player. I probably will have an episode on AJ Griffin pretty soon, so I could literally talk for ninety minutes about him. <laughs> but I, uh, it's always interesting to me when someone gets shots off pretty consistently without being extremely athletic. Yeah. And AJ, it's not like he's a like a like a non-athlete, um, but he's built. He's very strong, but he doesn't have great burst. But when you watch him in these games, he will do these sort of extend dribbles to give himself a little bit more space, and then go and sort of catch up to the ball. Uh, he'll do a little crossover. Uh, he'll try to add some sort of. Uh, arrhythmia to how he attacks the hoop um and then he just he just finds these windows to let his floater go 
kind of like Jalen Williams, I think he relies on his floater too much because he he doesn't create a ton of layups for himself. But he's a baby, you know. Unlike Jalen, yeah, AJ has a lot. Like his, his second contract will hit; he'll be twenty two. So the fact that he's starting at nineteen is pretty wild. And he the sample size is small, but he is a positive player. Um, he's only played I think like eighty minutes with him. DeJounte and Trey on the floor because DeJounte just got hurt, just tweaked his ankle. Um, but those units are excellent. You know, they very, very encouraging. So um, you could see how he can complement sort of any sort of star and be really good. And if you get that much court time, if he really starts as a rookie the whole year, and that means he's going to start next year and the year after that, as long as your shot keeps falling that's when you give yourself a chance to develop in lots of different interesting ways. You need the court time to do it first. And the fact that he's already good enough to get it, uh, I think is something that should be very, very exciting for Hawks yeah. fans. What about you? Yeah, definitely. I think he landed in a phenomenal place. I think uh, playing next to a guy like Trey Young is perfect for him. And uh, he can kind of play next to to anybody. He has that style of play where he's that versatile. He's got a very like wide base, always has, even at Duke, mm -hmm. like as a shooter specifically, which is something that's always been interesting to me. But defensively, uh, he's been a little better than I expected. He just kind of is like a, a good kind of guy to have, like a, you can fit, you can plug him in just about wherever you need him in a lineup, which is super intriguing. Uh, he's more complete than I think I gave him credit for coming out. He's always been kind of a spot up shooter. His Duke kind of uh, shooting splits were pretty crazy. So as mm -hmm. he's kind of has been this guy, it's not like anything new, but it's just kind of all translating and clicking just at a quicker rate than I expected. So I've been pretty thrilled to to see this coming out of him so early. And uh, it'll be interesting to see that Hawks kind of what their identity becomes as a team. It doesn't sound like the vibes are, are great surrounding that team right now. Yeah, but, uh, I like AJ Gr uh, Griffin a lot. I think he's a fascinating contrast with Matherin too, because Matherin's yeah, yeah. movements in a good way on the court are like violent. You know, when he, when he sprints into a, a three, it's quick, it's hard. He gets up like very explosively I and it's just, it. it's just, you can just see, <laughs> yeah, you can see how physical it is. Griffin, uh, at least this early and it's still it's early. Smooth. It's, it's smooth. It's yeah. smooth and a little bit more based on timing. Um, but the results are still really, really good. And, mm -hmm. you know, even though they both superficially are about the same size, both well-built, both rely on their shot, they just go about it really different ways. It's what, what we said at the top about all these different kinds of wings. Yeah, definitely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a couple more names at you. Uh, if anybody jumps that that you want to go into, and then we'll uh, get ready to wrap this up. But uh, Shaden Sharp, a guy that's impressed me, Tara Eason, uh, Jalen Duran and Christian Coloco. Oh, and uh, Walker Kessler and Marjan Bochamp. Throw him on there as well. <laughs> All guys that have kind of impressed me for different reasons. But is anybody off that list that kind of super has stuck out to you? You said Tari, right? I did. Yes. Okay. So I'll pick out of that list. I'll pick Tari and Walker Kessler. Okay. Those are two guys I, I pumped a lot in the draft cycle. So um, Tari, speaking of sort of violent action and, and competitiveness, he is right in that camp, um, plays so, so hard and uh, has this the, this ability to generate deflections at six, eight and guard guards, you know, on the ball with a real not just with effectiveness, but with sort of a a, a predatory 
instinct. Um, that again is just very rare. You study draft class after draft class, and there aren't many sort of offensive defensive players who view defense not just as a as a way to react or a way to try to shut off what the offense is doing, but as opportunity to create possessions and create transition. Mm -hmm. uh, and Tari has the tools to do it, and he has the strength to do it. He has the aggressiveness and the will to do it. Um, so once they start him, which they will figure out either second half of this year after they trade Eric Gordon or the, the, the time will clear up for him and it will come time for him to start. And I think you'll see um, just what a valuable player we're really talking about. I, I at certain times last year had Tari as high as six on my board and I chickened out and I put him towards the back of the lottery, but I will be absolutely stunned if there are 10 guys in this class better than him i'll be surprised if there's seven you right. know i i just he does so many things that not only players in this draft class don't do but that in surrounding draft classes won't do that uh i'm just really high on him and i think the shot's gonna go in and uh <clears throat> walker kessler uh again speaking of guys with like really elite skill like again Bigs come out in the draft every year. I think there's a tendency to for people to be down on bigs. And yeah. Kessler's another guy who I chickened out on because I had him in like the mid-teens for a while and then ended up putting him in the 20s. But uh there there are bigs who secure backup minutes. There are your Alex Lens, your Mason Plumleys, who seem like they're sort of dime a dozen. Um, and then there are guys who block more shots at a higher rate than anyone basically in NCAA history, which is what Walker Kessler did as a sophomore. So like when you're dealing with clearly something that was dominant at the college level and something that, you know, can translate um, it's just, it, I think it's awesome that it is translated this quickly. I think uh, the fact that he's gotten a chance. Yeah. I think he started last night against the warriors and had 10, 12 and five, He's, you know, finishing everything around the hoop and his touch was one of his question marks. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I was of the opinion he was going to become a starting center. I didn't think it would be by, you know, 25, 30 games in. Because you know, the Jazz are probably good enough to where when Markinen's healthy, they'll shift Kessler back to the bench and that's yeah. fine. Um, but if they wanted to, to tank and really embrace developing the young guys worth developing on their team, they could start Kessler and he would be good enough. I think to like lock down that job by year two. That's, that's how highly I think of him, but who, who in that list and what do you think of those guys? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Tari guy as well. Uh, I've been impressed with him. I loved him at LSU. He's there is rare for guys to be that entertaining defensively, just like imposing the way that he is. Like there was a, a stretch Monday when the, the Rockets played the Sixers where he was just bullying Tobias Harris. And mm -hmm. now granted, Harris is a, a fairly bullyable guy as far as he's not very physically imposing. That's Ooh. Not, yeah, that was a little mean, but uh, oh, a little bit. I like Tobias, but anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I like Tobias, but uh, you know, not you know, Tari Eason can uh, can absolutely bully him and did for stretch <laughs> Monday night, so that was seen. But that ability to just kind of like get under a guy's skin to physically impose himself is crazy. And he's shooting 36.2% from three this year, so that is plenty good enough for him to stick mm -hmm. on the floor considering what he does defensively. Uh, Walker Kessler is a guy who's been better than I expected. Uh, the the shot blocking is a real deal thing. And like 
extremely impressive the way he alters more than he even blocks. Uh, all these guys, Christian Coloco has also uh, jumped out to me specifically just from like a going from like a very pure center at Arizona to fitting just the, the not whatever you want to call the Raptors system as far as switchability, doing whatever. He's been good. He's been very good. And I think he's a guy that they're going to keep in the rotation and develop come postseason because we saw last year how uh, they kind of their downfall was that they didn't really have a big man. They didn't have a guy that could bang when they matched up with the Joel Embiid or with another true center. And I think that's Coloco is their their project to become that. And I think he's going to be able to do it in the long run. So I'm very intrigued by by that whole process. And and Bochamp, I'll give a shout out as well. I was a fan of him uh, coming in. Such a crazy story just leading up to the draft. Uh, yeah. And I'm curious your your take on him real quick. But uh, a guy that just a little bit limited, more limited for opportunity than a lot of these guys. But he seems to be doing his thing. And I won't say I've, I've watched him as much as a lot of the guys on here. Mm-hmm. But I like Bochamp's story. I like his game. And he seems to just finding little ways to fit in here and there. Yeah, another guy who really, really, really complete competes and marries it with real deal athleticism. Now, Marjan's probably like six, five, six, six. He's probably on the, the smaller wing. If you compare it to, you know, six, seven, six, eight, six, nine, but uh, he will D up very hard. I think he's an underrated passer. Uh, and when he attacks the rim, he attacks to finish. And that is really what's going to be if it isn't already a separator between guys who can be sort of fourth or fifth starters and guys who are more bench players, like it's just going to be a more or less a requirement that if you're on the court and you're playing 30 minutes a night, that if you attack a closeout that you can go up and finish and dunk at the rim. And he, he has all that Um, shots got to go in obviously. And he needs to find ways to contribute to a great team, not just a good one. So, and that is going to be difficult, you know, in Milwaukee, the bar is just going to be really high, but Mm -hmm. uh, look, man, if anyone has the, the will to do it, it's certainly him. So yeah, I liked, I had Marjan in my top 20. I was a fan for sure. Yeah. And my last question for you, I didn't want to go full into disappointments because I feel like it's far too early to be declaring it. But the only guy that I think has jumped out as far as concerning to me is Johnny Davis up in Mm -hmm. Washington. So What's kind of what do you think is going wrong for Johnny and what kind of what, what's your take on him? Uh, hard to have a take because I haven't watched him play because he's been okay. in the G League. But I'll say that in terms of what he showed pre-draft that maybe I overlooked or that I waited inappropriately because uh, I had him as a top 10 player um, is that he didn't have like what we've been talking about in terms of elite traits or stuff that you project to do at an elite level. He was more of a good across the board guy. And it was, it almost seemed to me like he had an ankle injury, which mucked up some of this stuff. Um, But he was a good athlete, not a great one, a good passer, not a great one, a decent shooter, not a great one. And when you add all of that up, it almost seemed like his best trait when he was right was his defense and how, how hard he played defense. And I actually had a, an episode come out today um, where we talked a long time, me and uh, Larry golden about Patrick Williams, mm-hmm. um, who is not, I mean, I mean, he was never a G league player or anything, but when guys seem when defense is their best trait coming into the draft, they better be like a Tari level athlete with, tarry level psychosis as a competitor if you are if you are just sort of sub elite if you're just 
good and it seems like the best thing you do is defend it the nba can reality check you really quick because of how talented everyone is you know mm-hmm. on offense so yeah i think it was sort of sub elite athleticism with maybe just like okay skill mm-hmm. he was still a really good player still a really good sophomore i'd like to think that maybe he still has some health stuff that he's figuring out yeah. Um, but that, that to me would be my best explanation for it. What, what do you think about it? Yeah, I don't know. It's been tough. Cause like you said, there just hasn't been much to go off. Uh, I was hopeful going into the year that he could be a guy that could take some just pressure off Bradley Beal as far as run a second unit a little bit and be a primary option that hasn't shown any signs of being the case. Uh, I think you pointed to a lot of the right reasons, which is kind of being, a a lot of good, not nothing necessarily great. Uh, but I don't know. It's early. It's tough. Uh, I would. I think he, for him, he just needs to find some identity as a player. And for that to be his at his max, it's got to be a way to figure out how to play next to Beal, which I, I think is they're more contrasting than I think I uh, had expected. Mm. And um, I don't know. That's going to have to be fixed one way or another uh, if he is to figure it out. So it's going to be difficult. Still super early in his career. Not something to, to panic on. But uh, I was hopeful he would make much more of an early impact than has been the case. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for hopping on. Let everybody know where they can find you at. And uh, once again, thank you. Of course, man. Uh, I am at Chucking Darts, the uh, Chucking Darts NBA and Draft podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's if you follow my Twitter, that's the easiest way to see when I post a new uh, show, unless you subscribe, which would be wonderful if y'all did or leave a nice five star review if you like my stuff. But uh, Sean, thank you so much. I love talking about these guys and uh, love chopping it up with you. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. This was great. Uh, thank you guys for all tuning in. Make sure to drop a like and subscribe if you have not already. Chuck, we'll have to have you back on come draft season and whatever, talk it up again. But uh, thank you guys for tuning in and we will talk to you.